MSW Media. So what should we make of all the recent stock market trading in GameStop? Do the traders or the services they use have any legal liability? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly on this podcast. But before I bring in Patty, I want to thank our patrons who brought us this episode with special thanks to Andrew Donnelly, James Frohmeyer, Jay Gelhausen, Jamie and Izzy Gordon, Patrick, Angela Jackson, Ari Lamstein, Dan Maruska, Shana Wachinski, and an anonymous patron. You too can become a patron on our website, ontopicpodcast.com. Just click the support link at the top of the page. So, Batty, I've got to say, I actually, in my day job, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, potential liability for traders and people involved in the stock market in various ways. But it's rarely something that is in the news to, quote, to quite the extent it is. And let's face it, most of us don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the stock market and, and that sort of thing all the time, unless you have invested a lot of money in it or you're trading in it in your spare time. But this GameStop stuff has really captured a lot of people's attention this week. Oh, absolutely. And it was interesting. About a week and a half ago, a friend of mine sent me a link, you know, sort of a referral to this Robinhood app. And he's like, I'm doing really well on this. You should you know, try it. You get a free stock on me. And, you know, I thought about it, but I really know very little about how to invest. I have a 401k. You know, I, I kind of keep track of some of my money markets, things like that. But I don't know, active. So I, I wasn't sure. And then this story happened and I was like, I, I it, it there is a part obviously of it where a lot of people are excited, like we're sticking it to the hedge fund managers and you know, they buy up companies that are uh, at low prices and they break them up and they, you know, destroy these uh, businesses that were grown by families or people who, you know, just wanted to, to make a way in life. And then you also have the, you know, how disruptive and the fact that Robinhood suspended trading, all of it just really amplifies that there needs to be better safeguards in place for our stock market. Yeah, it's interesting. I will tell you uh, a few things. First of all, I mean, there's often people trying to get other people to trade stocks. That's not unusual. I do think that the the, the social component of this was fascinating. Like you said, this idea that somehow this is you're engaged in social justice by trading a particular stock, that's definitely uh, rarely the case, right? When people are trying to get you to buy a particular stock. So that was very different here. Um, and it was part of the pitch and part of the appeal. You had a lot of Redditors. I happen to read Reddit a lot of times myself. I have for years. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to see them, all these, these, uh, gamers. And I, I guess I'd count myself as a gamer as well. Uh, all being like, okay, we're going to save GameStop and stick it to the hedge funds. I think they thought they were, they were sticking it to a uh, very interesting. I mean, one thing I wonder is whether the people who started this wave of investing 
uh, were more sophisticated and were able to sort of use this to take advantage of a particular wave. Um, And then a lot of other people just got caught up in it. But regardless, as you point out, you know, we generally like the stock market to not be um, uh, distorted in any way. And for essentially for prices to be based on, you know, market information and so forth. And obviously our, our, our markets are far from perfect. And there's a lot of, I think, legitimate critique out there uh, about them. But uh, this one was particularly uh, interesting and it had such a massive impact uh, that I think it will, it's, it certainly captured the popular imagination in a way a lot of uh, other events in the markets uh, have not. I'm glad that you mentioned that. There's a great story. I don't know if you saw I mean, look, there's obviously the bigger picture of it that we're all trying to catch up and understand this. But my favorite story out of this is uh, a mom with a young son. He's about 11 or 12 years old. When he was nine, she started teaching him about investing, saving money, how to manage your accounts. And they bought stock in GameStop. And he made, they bought about, I think it was like two or $300 worth of games, uh, GameStop, and he now made $3,000. They cashed in. And it was it was a great little story. And she was like, I wish I bought that. But, you know, she was trying to teach him, like, what 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 are you drawn to? What do wow. you think would, would make a good investment? So that was a really sweet story. Um, you know, so nice for, for some, fo- some folks. I hope that they uh, got a nice little uh, bump during this uh, time of crisis. Yeah, no kidding. When I was that age, I was investing in baseball cards. It didn't work out quite as well. So, oh, no. uh, you never, you never found your Hornsby. You never found yeah, your. Yeah, uh, clearly, you know that's the thing. I was investing in newer players than Rogers Hornsby. Uh, if I did, I would have been in better shape. Um, yeah, you got. You got to find your your uh, Trist speaker out there somewhere. You know what you really need is Adela Hanny. I'm sorry, I could go on and on about old baseball players. Continue. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah. So I definitely think um, you know there are some individuals who made money here. There's going to be some winners and losers, and I think you know what I think a lot of people are are asking about, and I've been getting tons and tons of questions on this. That's the reason we're doing this. Is okay. Are any of these people on the on Reddit or elsewhere online? Are they going to jail? Are they going to get the subpoenas from the SEC? What's going on? You know, the Biden administration has said that the uh, SEC is looking at this, and then separately, uh, you know, people are mad at Robinhood and other services for shutting down trading and saying that's totally unfair and it shows they're in the pocket of somebody or whatever. Uh, and you know, uh, the question I've been getting is, okay, who you know. Is there any liability for them? So I will let all of you know, I do have my own views on this. I uh, I was uh, the first prosecutor to prosecute a high-frequency trader for a particular type of market manipulation. So I do a lot of uh, work now in private practice, you know, in that trading world. And and But when it comes to SEC issues, there's a friend of mine who I call uh, all the time to chat about SEC uh, issues because I deal with those often as well. And he is a former SEC attorney, uh, was for uh, many years, and now he's one of the leading practitioners uh, in the securities uh, enforcement world. His name is Jerome Tomas, and he's a partner at a a big law firm called Baker McKenzie. And we spent so much time talking about this and had fun with it because his son is one of these Redditor gamer uh, folks who wanted to uh, invest very much in GameStop. And so he was kind enough to join us. So I'm going to bring Jerome Tomas in now. Welcome to the podcast, Jerome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Renato. Glad to be here. 
So I think we're going to have to start at the beginning here and assume that a lot, there's a lot of folks listening who I think are probably wondering what the heck happened. I mean, they, they watched the news or read the news and they saw that GameStop uh, shares were skyrocketing in price, but it's not clear why or how that happened. So can you just give us a, a, a you know, a simple explanation of what was going on there? Yeah, yeah, a- a- Absolutely. So, I mean, this is really a story about a public company, and really public companies. It's not just GameStop. There are other companies also at issue here. A group of core investors that identified um, GameStop and others as potential buy targets. Others in the market who took a contrary view and a market frenzy that is fed by online brokers with low fee structures and, of course, social media. Social media is kind of the, 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 the game changer here. So real quick, let's talk about the story of GameStop. And this is just an example. Uh, Really, the GameStop run-up story appears to go back to a single investor based on reports I've uh, heard and read. Um, About two years ago, uh, an individual, Keith Gill, who is now 34 years old and who has a financial background, (laughs) decided that he liked long-term prospects of GameStop. Uh, He started acquiring shares of or positions in the company stock over that period of time, although at that point the company stock was still trading in the you know, 5 to $10, maybe even a little under $5 range. Um, significantly, and I think this is, this is what is different here, he, he's done what most um, people under 30, 35 do nowadays, is he posted his day-to-day life on social media. So he posted about his stock moves. Uh, through a Reddit uh, feed called Wall Street Bets, and he also had a, a YouTube channel and other social media outlets. Okay, hold on, hold on one second. So, what, what is you, you mentioned? Well, first of all, you talked about a buy position and so forth. What, what do you mean by that? Let's just—I just want to make sure everyone understands what you're getting. Yeah. Right there. So, so yeah. So, look. Uh, I mean, for for the for the folks out there, you know, one way you can buy stock or or or, or gain an interest in a, in a company stock is to actually buy a share of the stock. And a share of a stock is an ownership stake in that company. So if you were to buy 100 shares of, say, Apple, you would own 100 shares of Apple. And whatever the total number of shares issued is, let's say it's a million, you would own 100 shares out of a million shares of Apple. So you wouldn't control Apple. You wouldn't control Google by that by that ownership interest, but you literally would have an ownership interest in the company. Um, when we say positions, that's a little different because, for example, there are things like options, and we'll use options as a great example around here, which is a it is also a security, but you you don't buy an ownership interest in the company. What an option is really um, is a bet, and it's a bet that either the 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 stock price will go up or the stock price will go down. And so um, depending upon whether you think the price of the stock will go up or the price of the stock will go down, you buy an option that, that, that corresponds with what you think, the, where you think the price will go. And you then either gain money or lose money depending upon whether your bet was right or wrong. And, and, and so th- those are what's options. So when I use, you know, when I use the, the term position, I'm largely referring to the potential that it's either stock ownership or it's an option uh, position and an option purchase. Yeah, an option to buy. And in other words, if, if, the, if, the, if the stock price is at 20 now, you may want to have an option to buy it for a similar price or 
or even maybe slightly higher price in the future if you think the price is going to skyrocket because then in the future you could exercise that option and then you'd have even more shares. Is that essentially the idea? Yeah, exactly. So, so let, you know, let, let's walk through an example, Rana. So let's say, it, it, I think the easier example for people to understand is what's called a put option. And that's a bet that the, the stock will go down. So what happens when you think the company's stock will go down is you go to your, your brokerage firm and, you, and, and your, your account, you have, actually have to be authorized to, to, to do options trades. Not everyone, based on their, their, their income level, their net worth, and their sophistication can or should engage in options trading. I think that that's, that's sort of SEC regulation 101. But, but assuming that, that you are allowed in, in your account to do options trading, um, if you think a company's stock will go down, so let's say it's trading at $20 right now, um, and you think that uh, it will go down, um, you, you can do what's called a, a, a put option. And you can put, you can put the stock to the market, theoretically, at the today prevailing price of $20. And based on the, um, based on the price of, of the stock, let's say the stock goes down to $10, and then you close out that position when the price hits $10, you will uh, uh, get $10 in notional profit on that option. And depending on how many options you buy, it can it, it can be a quite an exponential amount of money that you um, that you uh, gain, or potentially the option can expire worthless. Right? You could spend a thousand dollars on an option, thinking the price will go down, and if the price goes up, um, you're you're not going to exercise that option. That happens all the time. You just let it expire worthless. And so when it expires worth, the thing about options is there's great risk because you, you, you then that option goes away. And you've lost your thousand dollars. Whereas, at least if you own uh, uh, the shares of the stock, if you were to have bought the stock, um, you would still own the company stock. So you would still own something. In the case of an option, you own nothing if it expires worthless. And there's also something a concept called shorting a stock, which is going to be important here. And I know there, anyone who's been paying attention to the news reports has heard that term. Can you explain to us what that means? Yeah. So, so shorting the shorting the stock is 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 a similar concept. And what shorting the stock is, is that it, it's a bet that the company stock will go down. And literally what the physical steps are is uh, under SEC rules, um, you can't simply put in what's called a naked short. You can't enter a short sale trade without somehow having identified shares that you can then take and and physically sell short. So you are required to somehow go out into the marketplace and find shares. Oftentimes they are on loan from other brokers or even your broker, and you you get those shares on loan. You pay you pay a, a a fee for getting those on loan, and then you actually sell that stock. In theory, that's what you do. You borrow the stock and you then sell it into the marketplace. And so if you think the, market, the price is going to go down um, and, and you get the stock and it's trading at, say, again, $20 here, you, you loan the stock, you pay some, some, some short fees, some loan fees, and then you just turn around and you sell the stock into the marketplace at the market, let's say it's 20 In a short sale, though, you, you, you have to what's called cover. And what, what does cover mean? Cover means you have to go out 
and then actually buy that stock back to repay your loan. So that's where shorting comes in, and that's where the short squeeze concept comes in. A short position can only be profitable if you can go out and buy the stock at a lower price than what you sold it for. If you have to buy the stock for a price higher at what you sold it for, you are going to lose money and potentially lose a lot of money. You can't let a short position expire worthless. That's the thing. In an option, you can. In a short position, you are obligated to cover. So if that, if that price goes through the roof relative to what you sold it to, you are going to have to go out and find that stock and pay whatever it is the market is calling for for that stock to then literally take that stock and return it to its rightful owner. Yeah, so essentially you're trying to sell high and buy low, so to speak. Um, if but if if you sell if you sell end up selling low uh, and buy high, then you end up uh, losing a heck of a lot of money. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, what I know, Patty has got a, a question that she had about some of the basics here that is important. Uh, Patty, uh, uh, what's that question? Right. I mean, a lot of folks, re, you know, obviously are aware that there are trading apps out there like Robinhood or E-Trade. What can you tell us about them and their role in our markets? So um, the, 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 those apps and, 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 you know, let's just take a step back. The app is the way that you access that firm. But the, 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 the apps are really set up by what we call in the securities world broker dealers. And so broker dealers are firms that are regulated by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. And um, they are typically the, the manner by which, in particular, retail investors are able to buy and sell stock. I, myself, I have my own account at TD Ameritrade that I buy and sell the stock occasionally in. Uh, and, and now I can do that on my computer or I can do it on my phone through the TD Ameritrade app. And so you mentioned TD Ameritrade. There's also E-Trade. You also mentioned Robinhood. So Robinhood, uh, TD Ameritrade, and the others are broker dealers. They are companies that are in the business of, of affecting or, or, or helping people buy and sell securities, basically, right? Uh, it's very hard for me to go and find shares of, say, Apple. They wanted to buy shares of Apple. I would have to go somewhere and find someone who would be able to sell me their shares of Apple somehow if they had proof that they own the shares that we would then do the sort of the contractual exchange of those shares. That's incredibly, incredibly uh, complicated and frankly worth no one's time. So what broker dealers do is they, uh, they operate on a, a stock exchange uh, and they operate on, on multiple stock exchanges, NASDAQ, New York stock exchange, uh, stock exchanges around the world. And they, they, have a relationship with our customers where, the, where the customer says, I want to buy a hundred shares of this company. And the broker says, okay, fine. We will charge you a fee to go out and find that stock. We'll buy that stock for you and you will hold it in your account here. And that account um, uh, will be subject to SEC and self-regulatory organization rules and regulations regarding protections of the funds and those assets and what the broker dealer can and can't do. But essentially when you're hearing about these apps, they are literally middlemen, broker dealers who help individuals buy and sell securities, including in this case AMC and GameStop. And I think it's fair to say, Jerome, that these apps have popularized and lowered the barrier of entry for people to start trading stocks on their own. In other words, years ago, it may be the case, you know, certainly there are there were uh, broker dealers that 
you know, people would use if they had access to wealth and you would make phone calls or you'd visit uh, somebody in person and you would, uh, you know, put in trades that you wanted to make. But now, you know, uh, people who are reading Reddit, which is a social media platform or other social media platforms can just download an app on their phone and, and they have to submit an application and so forth. And uh, once they're accepted, uh, you know, they can start trading and they can just push some buttons and make stock decisions. That, that, that's, that, that's absolutely right. You know, I remember not long ago um, when I was a young boy and I would see my dad um, in the market. My dad had a stockbroker, but my dad would go see that stockbroker. My dad would go and, and, and call that stockbroker and have to place orders through that stockbroker. That stockbroker, which oftentimes was represented by a representative, an individual that he had a relationship with, would give him oftentimes advice on the things you bought and sold, but it was a very cumbersome process. Now, it was still easier than before brokers were in place, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't easy. Um, fast forward a generation, I, I have never used a registered representative to buy or sell a share of stock on my behalf. I've, I've made all shares, purchases, and sales on my own through my own online brokerage account. Um, I, I pay lower fees. Um, I have greater control over what I buy and sell, when I buy and sell, the, the, the timing and all of that. Um, obviously, I, I'm purely on my own in making my own buy-sell decisions, but I've been sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sophisticated enough that I feel like I, I know what I want to do and what I don't want, don't want to do. And frankly, as a lawyer in this space, uh, I, I don't trade a whole lot of securities to begin with. Um, it's, it's mostly sort of change, I find, in, 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 the, in the cushion, in between my cushions. A lot, a lot of what I have is, is in my 401k or is in mutual funds or college savings funds. But it, I do have some money in a brokerage account that it is much easier to trade for, for your sort of run-of-the-mill individual like myself as opposed to 30 years ago. Yeah, and I think that's that's a big difference here. You know, one thing that you know, people have seen and in, in to kind of go to other conversations we've had in this podcast, there's this democratizing influence of information and, and the internet. And it has, has all sorts of impacts, many of which we don't like, like people storming the Capitol uh, because they've all organized on social media and a bunch of disinformation is spread perhaps here. Um, you know, the, what you're seeing, I think in part is a democratization uh, and low barrier to entry and the spread of information on the internet having an impact on the mar- on on the markets. I, I I when I was at the FCC, I worked in the Internet Enforcement Branch. Uh, so I was in, I was in the Securities and Exchange Commission. I was one of the lawyers. For those who don't know what that means, I was a lawyer for the Securities and Exchange Commission who was charged with investigating potential wrongdoing violations of the investment laws, the securities laws, and then running into court and filing either administrative or or actions in federal court against those wrongdoers. And and I focused on, for a number of years, Internet-based securities fraud. I will tell you, Renato, what I saw back then in the early 2000s, it is not different. Um, It's not different in kind of the broad strokes from what we're seeing today. There were AOL and Yahoo chat rooms, and people were talking in those AOL and Yahoo chat rooms back then. I know because I saw them, right? And it was the same type of thing that we're seeing now. The people in those chat rooms were um, sort of as they were called fanboys, right? They were fanboys of the stock, and they were grousing and upset about the shorts, 
about uh, uh, others who were uh, perhaps unfairly or in their view, unfairly taking a short position in the stock and engaging in conduct that was driving down the price of an otherwise valuable company. I saw that with my own two eyes. I investigated those types of matters at the SEC. That sounds incredibly similar to what we have here. The difference is this is back then social media or, or get these Yahoo chat rooms were kind of a specialized area in the world. Now, now social media is everywhere. It's, it's a part of everyone's life. I, I you know I'm a, I'm a 47 year old lawyer at a corporate law firm and I, and I use social media probably more than, than, than I did 10 years ago because it, it's just such an important part of what we have to do to communicate with the outside world. So I agree. Social media has changed this. Um, and, 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 and frankly, I, I think if I could sort of editorialize a little bit, I think the social media aspect of this and, the, and who is more sophisticated at social media, me or my, my children, my children 10 times out of 10. Um, we've seen that. We've seen the people who are more sophisticated with a way of communicating and a way of organizing um, catch essentially their parents <laughs> by surprise. Um, and and, and, and I, I, I do think this, this is the wake up call. I also think um, this might be the first time ever in the, history, in, the, in the recorded history of human beings that children have brought to their parents a profitable investment. <laughs> think about that. It, it, right, right. I mean, it, I, I, I know from, from my friends telling me that it was their sons, their daughters, walked down the stairs and said, Mom, Dad, I want to buy 50 shares of AMC. I want to buy 50 shares of GameStop because this is what's going on and I think I can make money. And I'll tell you what, those, the, those boys and girls bought the shares and probably only 20% of the times it was the parents that bought the shares. So, we're, you know, and, and my son was the same way. My son came to me on Thursday and said, you know, dad, I want to buy AMC. And then I kind of walked him through, well, <laughs> we got to think about this. You know, did dad, you know, yeah, there's, it's, it's not as easy for me to do this as it might be for some other people, but then he showed me his analysis. And he was getting analysis from from Discord chat on the internet, Renato. I'm on Discord chat. I I'm not about stock trades, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so look, this is. Um, I I do think this has changed. Now, what the long term effects are going to be, and was this a blip or was this something that you know invariably changes the way the securities markets are going? Um, I don't think it was a blip. I think this is going to happen again. I think I think the roadmap has been drawn. Um, now, how, how much it changes um, the, the way that the market works, I think, remains to be seen. I think we also have to see how the regulators respond, right? Um, because I think right now the, the, the regulators are sort of – it's like whack-a-mole. There are so many issues that the regulators have to think about and are thinking about from so many different angles um, that, that may or may not change based on new laws, new regulations – enforcement by regulation, right? You know, maybe there isn't a law on the books, but maybe the SEC and the Department of Justice and, and, and other law enforcement agencies take the view that we are going to enforce the anti-fraud provisions or the anti-manipulation provisions of the Exchange Act, which are in Section 9 of the Exchange Act. We're going to enforce them in a way that sends a message to the market that certain conduct that we saw over the past week or two is not permissible. It is not okay under the FCC's views of the securities law. I think that all remains to be seen. 
Well, let me, I want to turn back to that in a second, but I know we had a question from a listener that I wanted to get to first. Patty, do you have that? I do. Uh, how is what the Redditors did or are doing any different than what Elon Musk has done with Tesla in the past, with the Tesla shorts in the past? It's a group of people instead of one man, but buying a bunch of stock to drive up the price is, is nothing new. So it's a great question. So let's, let's talk sort of in the abstract here, right? So a, um, a, a, a single person buying stock um, for, for the purpose of buying stock is not illegal, um, nor is the, the 100 different people buying stock for the sole purpose of buying stock illegal where you, I think, um, run into issues here um, that, that at least the SEC is going to be looking at is this concept of, you know, was there a concerted effort to somehow engage in, um, in, 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 in price manipulation? Um, and again, I, there are some high barriers that the SEC will need to meet in order to prove that uh, retail traders um, – engaged in price manipulation. But the, the difference is from sort of a, a pure, if you're looking at it from an enforcement perspective, um, when you have a number of people who are banding together to engage in a, in a in concerted effort, um, it's something that, that I think at the very least the SEC is going to want to say, well, what is our view on this kind of activity? People banding together and doing this, a, a bull raid, if you will, has been called, because we need to know how we're going to deal with them in the future. Because I will tell you, it's going to happen in the future. And the SEC is going to need to have a better way of dealing with it than they currently have. Um, it kind of, you know, they, 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 the SEC has traditionally pursued statement-based fraud and statement-based manipulations. For example, pump and dumps, right? The SEC pursues pump and dumps all the time, but a pump and dump is, is, is affected by somebody making a false statement into the market for the purpose of driving the stock up. And then when that stock is going up, they are selling into it. And when the market realized that the information was false, the market crashes. However, the manipulator was able to profit on, uh, on the stock price spike and selling into that. There's the reverse of that, which is someone putting false information to the market that the company is doing poorly, right? That's, the sort of, that's what you, my partner will call the short and distort. Um, you know, and so you, you, you can do that. But again, that's all premised on false information. What we have here is something um, I think that still is yet to be seen. To what extent are there false statements out there? Are there false statements that were made with, with, with a level of state of mind required and that were material enough, that were important enough, that people thought significantly altered the, the full amount of information out there in the marketplace? So if, if, if there was that kind of statement, okay, there, there, there might be something that the uh, regulators would want to pursue from a statement-based fraud standpoint. However, if you don't have that, you're going to typically be left with what is traditionally called a, a price manipulation type case. Um, and those are ones that the SEC in particular has brought with far less regularity because there are specific intent requirements for proving why somebody engaged in a, in a particular transaction? Did they engage in the transaction simply to cause somebody else to have to do a transaction that would lose money? Or, because that, that, that could potentially be manipulation, if your sole purpose was to do a transaction to increase the price to cause somebody else then to have to essentially get out of a position at a loss. 
the FCC could look at that technically as a manipulation. The problem is you have to show that that the, the seller did, or the, 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 the manipulator did that with a specific intent to cause that person, that, that, that price to go up and to cause that person to have to get out of the market. If you are buying a company stock knowing it's going up because you think the company is good and one of the collateral consequences is that the shorts might lose their shorts, to speak colloquially, um, that's a much harder case for the FTC to govern and regulate, in particular from an enforcement perspective. Yeah, and I think it's important to distinguish between these two things. So, you know, the, the first thing you're talking about is essentially, and I think it's possible it happened here. I think it's it, it's not reflected in the in the reports that we've seen publicly so far, which is that, in other words, essentially what what I've read in public reports is there's people saying, hey, you know, GameStop is being shorted by all these big Wall Street firms. That's wrong. They've got it wrong. GameStop's actually going to do very well. And let's stick it to these Wall Street, you know, jerks and buy GameStop and make it go up. And it's going to have two fantastic consequences. We're going to make money because GameStop's a great company. And we're going to stick it to the Wall Street guys who are a bunch of, you know, assholes, essentially. Sorry if your kids are listening. Yeah, Renato, exactly. So, so that that is that's a perfect example of something that would not be actionable, right? Um, because it's it, it, it's it's a pure statement of opinion, and opinions that aren't actionable as misstatements or manipulation. Right. It's it's got to be a false factual statement. Exactly. Now, now let me let me give you an example of something I, I saw with my own two eyes that might be a little different. And it was a it was on a Discord chat on um on Friday morning uh, that my my son my son sent to me. And it was words to the effect of, um, hey, we need to keep the stock above 10 because at 10, for this is for, I think this was for AMC. We need to keep the stock above 10 because if the stock stays above 10, the shorts are going to have to liquidate at a loss. They're going to lose money. So keep the buying pressure up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Um, you know, that's where I sort of sat my son down. I'm like, oh, time out. Time out. You know, the, 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 this is not just this is not purely what, what I do call fanboy buying because I like the company stock. This isn't hyping a company stock because I like the company. There's another motive here, and it was pretty clearly stated. Now, whether that that is a true, whether that rises to the level of manipulation under the federal securities laws, Renato, is something that that, that I think is open for debate. Um, and frankly, how, how you actually go about enforcing the, these laws against the myriad people who were sending these messages out and buying the stock based on that theory, it, it, you know, for a thousand dollars. I mean, the SEC would be here until next decade bringing these cases. So I do, I do think there's some legal and there are also some practical limitations here, but I also do think that there are things that have been said in the marketplace that uh, are, are less, pure statements of optimism. We love this company stock and let's stick it to the shorts and more of a, Hey guys, we need to do this because we need to stick it to the shorts. And if you understand those, the, the difference between those two, it, it, it could be significant from a legal perspective. Yeah, it could have a significance. I, I will say I am a skeptic as somebody who's manipulation, something that's really in my strike zone in terms of uh, what I've done in, in, in the government and in private practice. Uh, I think those are just very difficult cases to make, um, and uh, I, I, you know, I look forward to representing. So if somebody, if they're foolish enough to bring one, I would, I would love to be uh, representing the person on the other side of that one. I think it's just tough. 
a tough game to make these sort of trade-based manipulation cases. But yeah, you do have that intent element. I think it's tough. Um, I will say one of the things that I do find interesting here is that, look, as somebody who's practiced a lot in this space, uh, I don't see, you don't see a lot of people who have a social justice element to their trading. Uh, people are mostly have a dollars and cents element. So one thing I find interesting here is people believing that they are making the world a better place in an activism sense by buying GameStop or AMC or something yeah. else. Yeah. So you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. A very few things today can bring uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ted Cruz together <laughs> like this, as we've seen. Um, I, and, and sort of not to get into politics, but to go sort of more close to home. I was I, I was I was out on Friday night um, with, with 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 some friends um, of multiple different political, professional, experiential standpoints. I spoke with a lot of people about this, and they obviously come up to me and ask me what they have to say. And, and what I found surprising was almost unanimously. No matter whether this person is liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, uh, wealthy, straight up middle class, in between, you know, sort of on the, the truck up through the income uh, ladder, almost unanimously it was a, you know what, I don't have a problem with this. And, 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 I, and I was surprised by the relative unanimity of the views I heard um, from people my age, right, who are kind of, you know, that's who this is targeting, right? You know, the sort of the, the, the more establishment from the, from the age and from the where you stand and the economy standpoint. I, I was surprised by how many people said, you know what, I'm fine with this. Good, good for them. Good, good for them. And so, I, you know, and I'm not saying that so much as a, I agree with it or I don't disagree with it, but I do think that the views of the populace are, are certainly going to impact just where Congress and probably even to a certain extent, the SEC falls in deciding to focus enforcement priorities. Again, the SEC is, is independent. They're not supposed to be driven by politics. It is, is it an independent administrative agency. But I think you'd also be foolish to think that if, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of the population doesn't have a problem with this, how much are you going to spend in resources prosecuting the people that nobody has a problem with what they did? Um, so, you know, again, interesting, interesting times. Um, this, this was, you know, I, I will tell anyone who will listen, you know, I remember the first time that I heard the four chords of smells like teen spirit. I'd never heard anything like that before. It didn't sound right, but it sounded better than anything I've ever heard in my life. Um, and, and I couldn't quite fit it in my mind. And, and when I started reading reports of this, I had the same, same impression. It was, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this, and I don't know how to make sense of it, but I know that it's going to be a, a, a mind riddle to make sense of it. You know, I, I look, look at things legally. I try and fit them into, is this fraud? Is this manipulation? Um, is there some violation of a technical regulation here? Um, and, 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 I, and I think you can see, not only by our discussion here today, but frankly, by what you're reading in the media, a number of very reasonable, educated minds will differ entirely on, well, is there a potential claim here and who's in the right, who's in the wrong? Um, what should the SEC do? But the fact that, that, that you, the fact that there is this kind of sort of, um, it, it's, it's not so heavy handed on one side or the other, I think suggests that this is something that, um, that the markets 
and the regulators are going to have to struggle with to figure out how do you strike the right balance and how do you prevent this again if you think you should prevent it again, right? That's the other thing, Renato. Should this be stopped from happening again? I think if you put 20 reasonable-minded people in a room, you would get 10 different answers. I think that's right. And I I will just say, you know, I initially didn't comment on this uh, development and I comment on often on legal developments because you know the facts really matter then there's very you know there's and i know so much about this area of law that you know some of the details are important but it's and i do agree i do agree with you i think this is an event that will have an impact you know but before we get to sort of how the sec might handle this and which i think is an interesting topic one thing that of course has happened that a lot of people are very interested in and I know uh, Patty is, is has mentioned that there's been a lot of discussion about she they, she's gotten questions on this is Robinhood suspended trading on certain stocks, including GameStop. Can you explain why they did that? And there's been lawsuits that have been filed by traders about this. Can you can you tell us what what are the basic what's the basis of their lawsuits and why does Rob why does Robinhood think they could they could uh, legally do what they did? Yeah, so, so I, I, I can't get into the, the state of mind of Robin Hood or its legal advisors. And, but I think let, let's, we could speak more generally about um, what basis a, a, a broker dealer, a securities broker, might have to do what we saw. And it wasn't only Robin Hood. There were other broker dealers that, that imposed restrictions on their, uh, on their customers' ability to transact business. Um, in whether it's AMC or GameStop. I just ran into a guy at the grocery store last night who got into a position, but his broker wouldn't let him out of a position. Literally, I paid for my, my food, and I was on the way out, and he stopped me and was asking me all about it. So th- this is happening to real people. Um, and, and so I think what, 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 what I would say is, you know, bro- brokers have a number of different obligations uh, under, the, under the federal securities laws, under exchange rules. But I think we have to start with the most basic premise, which is there's a contractual relationship between a broker and their uh, client. And that is an, is an account opening agreement. And it has all types of fine print that's drafted by a number of lawyers. But one of the things you will see in those agreements is some clause that says words to the effect of, yeah, we know our business is to allow you to buy and sell stock, and we will and we'll allow you to do so. However, we we can place restrictions on your ability to buy and sell stock, um, and we can do so for legal reasons, for business concern reasons. The the, the firm has pretty much unfettered discretion to impose restrictions um, on a customer's ability to buy and sell securities. So let's start from that premise that that that, that a broker dealer will first sort of point to the, the account agreement and say, well, we can do this. Um, going beyond that, they, they would say, well, look, in addition to the fact that we can do it, the reality is um, you know, we, we have obligations under the federal securities laws to maintain a certain amount of net capital, money, you know, money in our accounts that makes us a viable broker deal. But as we transact business for our customers in volatile securities, the, the other people, the other firms that we are doing business with in those securities in order to go out and find those securities at these sort of, there are further intermediaries called clearing firms. 
in order for us to go out and, 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 and buy the stock through a clearing firm, if the stock is volatile from a price standpoint, we're gonna, we have to give more of a deposit. So we have to send more of our money out the door in a deposit in order to allow you to buy or sell the stock. And um, that impacts us from a net capital standpoint. And so at some point when the stock gets so volatile and our deposits get so volatile, we, we, we physically can't do that or, or financially can't do that because our, 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 our desire to want you to do business runs headlong into net capital and clearing firm deposit issues. And we, we can't go in violation of net capital in order to allow you to buy and sell a volatile security. Um, so that would be sort of another an, another thing that we would be looking at. And I think, frankly, people need to be thinking about in the context of why some broker dealers impose restrictions. The third is suitability, right? So broker dealers have suitability requirements. And so sometimes if it's a, you know, let's say it's a, you know, a 70 year old pensioner who's, you know, bored at home and decides to, you know, spend half of his or her retirement funds on GameStop or AMC, maybe even options because they heard their son or their grandson or granddaughter or whoever tell them about this, a, a firm could say, well, stop. <laughs> There's some suitability requirements here. We, we, we don't think you need to be doing this or should be doing this. And frankly, we could get in trouble if we allowed you to do this based on the investment profile and risk that you've described that you're, you're comfortable undertaking. So there are a lot of different reasons why a firm might or could impose restrictions. I, I think what we've heard on the flip side is, well, look, well, A, it, it's, uh, you, know, you have a duty to, uh, under, uh, under SEC rules and, and uh, FINRA rules, which FINRA is the sort of the, the self-regulatory organization that oversees all broker-dealers in the United States. You have an idea you, or you have an obligation to use your best efforts to get us um, to, to buy or sell the stock we ask for at the price that we direct you to do so. You might not be able to do it, but you have a duty to go out and do that. That's called the duty of best, best execution. It's an SEC regulation or rule, and it's also uh, in, 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 in the, the FINRA um, rules as well. Um, they, they are also bringing, uh, uh, bringing up theories that you know, this is just a straight-up breach of contract. It's a, it's, a, it's a breach of fiduciary duty. It's a... Um, it's negligence, right? You had a duty to execute for us. Uh, you breached that duty by not by not doing that, by not letting us buy or sell the stock. Um, that your failure to do so caused uh, uh, caused us um, injury by not letting us buy or sell the stock at the price that we wanted to do so. And then there are allegations of implied um, of implied uh, warranties of. Uh, merchantability and of good dealing that I've seen in some of these lawsuits as well. And again, I don't want to comment necessarily because it's so early and, and, and the facts of these matters are, are critical to whether the case has legs or doesn't have legs. But that, that sort of is what I am seeing based on the, the things I'm talking to, the people I'm talking to, the things I'm reading, um, both from the broker dealer side and from the, uh, from the, the investor side. We actually had a question from a listener that relates directly to one of the points you made. Uh, Patty, do you have uh, do you have that one? I do. Would Robinhood simply requiring 100% margin on all new and current stock and option trades in highly shorted names have been enough to satisfy their liquidity crunch? 
I, 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 short answer is I don't have enough information at my disposal to answer that affirmatively. And frankly, I don't know that I would want to answer it in this forum without thinking about it much more closely. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I think the, the reality is that the, the more money in whatever way Robin Hood would have had, would it help them avoid the liquidity crunch? I don't know simply that requiring more margin in and of itself would have been enough. I'm, I don't know enough to say yes or no. And I'm frankly not, not in a position to opine on that. I, I am always weary, though. Let me just say this. I'm always weary of there being one simple fix to a complex problem. You know, that's something we learned, you know, in law school and even studying for the law school exam is answers that are always never um, all or none are always wrong. Um, and I realize there's some inconsistency in that logic, but, but, you know, anyone who's done this long enough knows that complex problems often do not have a, a one silver bullet answer. And so I'd be, I'd be shocked if it was that simple to be honest. But again, um, I, I, I need to look into that a lot more to know whether that would be enough. Yeah. A lot of folks uh, who listen uh, to the podcast or have read me on Twitter or in elsewhere in print or on television, I'll often remark I'm kind of like a this uh, uh, this uh, wet blanket who's always like, well, it's actually really complicated and there's a lot to this and it may not be quite how it seems and that's that's often not the uh, the fun answer but it's the right one. I, I will I do wonder though you know we, you were mentioning earlier that you know the SECs you know may do something here uh, in response to this and you know the what the Biden administration has said their spokes their spokesperson has said essentially. That they're lo- the SEC is looking at this, right? This, they're looking at this situation, and we know regulators don't like um, uh, markets that are distorted. They want to try to have markets that don't have, vo- you know, volatility that's caused by anything other than you know market forces or market information. Um, you know, is this something that 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 we can expect SEC action? And what just at a high level, uh, what are some some of the types of things that we might uh, see the SEC consider. So, I, 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 well, I, 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 a couple things. I, I, I think there are a couple of pretty obvious answers here. One is that the SEC is clearly going to be investigating a number of the facets in this in this matter. So, one would be, um, you know, was there any anything wrong, illegal about what belongs? When I say long, I mean the people that bought the stock or bought the option, thinking that the price would go up. Those are those are called long positions. Was there anything wrong with what the longs did under the federal securities laws? And that would be: Were there any false statements made in the Reddit or the Discord chat, Discord chat that are were sufficiently egregious enough and material enough to potentially warrant action under the federal securities laws? Um, I, I have my doubts about whether that's a a, a theory that ultimately ends up being the leading edge of what the SEC is looking at or ends up looking at, given just the, the disparate nature of, of what happened on Reddit and how many thousands and tens of thousands of posts there were and the, the small trades potentially. But, I, but, but for example, if, if it ends up being that there were you know, some false statements made by some people on Reddit or Discord who have a, a significant uh, position – in in um, a long, significant long position 
and run it. I could see the SEC kind of tapping the brakes and saying, well, let's look at that a little more. But I think if we're talking about kind of the, the low-level micro $500 and uh, maybe vastly over-optimistic statement bordering on fact or opinion, I, I don't know that the SEC is going to waste their or spend the resources. I should not say waste, spend the resources on that. Um, I, I think that the SEC on the flip side is going to be looking very closely at um, the market response. Um, if you uh, if you read the, the the commission statement from late last week or late this week, I, 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 um, they, they specifically called out how a and in these, this was a statement made by the commissioners that the the the, the, the the key is market stability and the markets are still functioning in a stable manner. Um, and they want everyone to all the market participants to be aware of their obligations under the federal securities laws, kind of the standard boilerplate stuff that you see. Um, and then, but then they also ended by saying, and you know, they, they are also looking at, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, uh, practices by, uh, broker dealers, um, which resulted in their customers not being able to enter buy sell orders or buy insecurities as they otherwise wanted to, um, and, and and I think that um, you know and obviously there's there's a lot of uh, you know speculation conjecture et cetera out in the market about kind of you know why why the firms did what they did, why they, why they shut people down from trading, what was really behind it. I'm not going to get into that. I don't think it's appropriate for us to speculate, but what I, what I can tell you is that given that commission statement yesterday, I think it's highly likely that they look very closely at the relationships between the broker dealers and some of the more established market players who, you know, you know, might've had an interest in the stock price, not going up as much as it otherwise did and looking to see if there were any types of relationships there that somehow resulted in a prejudice to the detriment of uh, retail investors. So that is one area that I do think that the SEC will, will focus on. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think there's the, the, the manipulation concept, though, we've talked a little bit about. I think that's they will look at that. They, they will need to form a view about what threshold constitutes actionable price-based manipulation. I think they're going to have to wrestle with that. Um, they, I, I think, frankly, the SEC has always kind of chose to not deal with that, and that there's a good reason why. These are very hard cases to prove. They're very hard cases to articulate, and reasonable minds will differ about what someone's opinion was and what someone's intent was, why they bought and sold the security. You know that, Renato. So do I. And so, and so um, I, I, I think, but I think this has caught everyone's attention to such a level of magnitude that the SEC is going to have to say something about was this a manipulation or was this not a manipulation? And in and, and a part of this, I think this is a, this is a, a perfect example for a 21, a report of investigation, I think, um, mm -hmm. which is where the SEC doesn't bring an enforcement action against a certain group of potential wrongdoers, but instead after their investigation, they come out, with a with a, a report on here's what we investigated, here's what we found, and here is what we think this means from a from a securities law um, standpoint, and here is what we are telling the market 
that that it means in the future. Um, and, and I, because I, I think it, you know, it's particularly well reserved for areas that are novel and are not well worn under the federal securities laws, but are going to be popping up more and more. And so you need to broadcast your intentions to the to to, to the regulated uh, entities and frankly to to the, anyone that's governed by the federal securities laws about where those lines are, right? There was a famous one that the commission issued a couple of years ago on cybersecurity and cybersecurity practices. Again, novel concepts that people aren't sure where the lines were. And the SEC took a very measured approach in not bringing an enforcement action, but instead issuing a report of their investigation and broadcasting their findings to the market. So I think this might be one of those instances where it's well-suited for that and not particularly going after all these traders. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's one thing to go and as you you know, you suggested them taking a close look at broker dealers. The broker dealers, the Robin Hoods of the world, they're highly regulated and they're often they have people on staff who whose job it is to make sure that they're complying with the SEC's regulations. And so the SEC can you know, I think have very specific, uh, you know, guidance for them in the future that they can anticipate that those broker dealers are going to have to comply with or else the SEC is going to find out, you know, the, you know what you're going to do about all these random people on the Internet. Very different story, as you point out, very difficult cases to put together and to bring. Well, before, yeah, absolutely. well, before we go, I do want to uh, mention, I know that, um, Jerome, you have your own podcast that if, if, if any of our listeners, if you are love this area and you're excited and interested in learning more about securities, securities enforcement, how these laws work, I know you have a podcast that talks about this. Can you tell us, uh, spend a, a, a little bit of time, just tell us about your podcast and where we can find it? Yeah, no, thanks, Ronald. Yeah, so it's called uh, This Week in Government Enforcement. And it's uh, a, a podcast that myself and the, my co-chair of the Baker McKenzie North uh, America Government Enforcement, i.e. white collar practice group at our firm, run. And it's, 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 it's a lot like this. It's, a, it's sort of a um, it's, it's a informal discussion, very talksy, very folksy, where we go through enforcement things, topics that we've seen happen that past week. Is sort of is the things that you need to know when you walk into the office on Monday morning that happened in SEC enforcement, DOJ enforcement, global white collar enforcement trends. And so, again, it, it can be found uh, just, you know, if, if you look online this week in government enforcement, it's it, it, it's all out there. And you can also feel free, obviously, to email me um, and we'd be happy to put you on our, our email distribution list. I also send around uh, links to it on a uh, weekly basis on my uh, LinkedIn account, and I'm, I'm happy to do so for anybody out there. And thank you for letting me plug my plug it for now. I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Uh, and, you know, it's something, this is a niche area. It's an area I spend uh, time uh, focused on in law. It's not usually what we're talking about uh, here, uh, but I think it's interesting, and it's something that in this particular case is of real relevance to everything that we are discussing about and learning. So thank you so much for joining us, Jerome. Uh, and uh, Patty, thank you for wading through some kind of uh, complicated questions uh, this week, I would say. Oh, no, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, this, this is a pleasure. Thank you guys for putting it together. Patty, appreciate it. Renato, thank you for the invitation. This is great. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. 
Thank you.